He's got to send it out to Mast, and he's got to do something quick. The crowd counting it off. Mast puts it up. It's going to be Max Shepard back there against everybody, and he comes down with it! And he comes down with it! John Mast knew who he had back there, and with nothing left on the clock, Max Shepard gets to line up his jump. It was perfectly placed, and the Thunderbirds win the game 18-17. How do you like that? 2023 is here, and Swing Pass is back. We've got week one recap action, a huge opening weekend in the AUDL. I am Adam Ruffner. That is Daniel Cohen. We are just going to jump right into it. DC Breeze took care of business on road, getting the big win against the Carolina Flyers, 21-15 in the AUDL game of the week. Carolina came back at home to notch it at 15s in the second half, but a 6-1 run by the Breeze close it out. They improved to 1-0. Look like a super team this year. Thomas Edmonds, Andrew Roy, and Joe Merrill all make big debut impacts, but Christian Boxley coming away as the man of the game on Saturday night. And elsewhere in the league, there was just so much action. A slew of big home favorites taking care of of their businesses at home in Salt Lake, New York, and Atlanta. And then two of the wilder finishes to start the season. Thunderbirds coming away with a walk-off winner in Pittsburgh on a Max Shepard sky at the buzzer. That one was electric, and I do mean that with a pun intended for the Thunderbirds. <laughs> and then in Oakland yesterday, there was an equal barn burner when the Seattle Cascades in the second game of a back-to-back push it to the first overtime match of the season, but the Spiders prevail in front of a raucous home crowd. Debuting in his first game with the Spiders, Mac Hecht threw for over 570 yards, nine assists. Biggest one coming on the last possession of the Spiders game, or I should say second to last. They had one final possession just running out the clock, but Mac right, Hecht right. right outside the end zone just lost a game-winning scuba to the front cone, easy as can be. Then the following possession, Seattle gets all the way within the red zone, and team veteran Brandon Fine just closes the door on the Cascades game. That was one of the more emphatic point blocks. You could just <laughs> really see was. Seattle completely deflate after they had given such a good effort throughout that game. Man, oh man, that was a pretty dang good week one i'm i'm happy with it i mean i will say the game of the week i mean we should probably start there it was it was weird i'll, I'll just start with that it was not yeah, exactly yeah. what i expected um <laughs> i think dc dc obviously had a lot of hype coming into that game coming off an incredible offseason with all these new additions and i i guess i wouldn't have said there was like higher than a, a 50% chance that everything would like work so seamlessly from the get-go. But I do think I was expecting maybe a little bit more chemistry, a little bit more polish just from the pure talent of these guys. But I don't know, they kind of showed that that they're human in a lot of ways. And just like any team integrating new pieces, there will be some, some bumps and a, a learning curve along the way. Um, Rowan McDonald debuting on the Breeze D-line, re-debuting, I should say, for the first time since... <laughs> 2017 or whatever whenever he was a d-line staple i was it was weird to me that so he had that great run through d in the first quarter and that was like okay love d-line rowan right away he's like i like him a lot as a defensive playmaker i think he just has like 
a natural hustle about his game and then really like brings that intensity. But then DC like kept calling timeouts every time there'd be a turnover. So it's like, if you're going to move him to D line, why are you not even giving him a chance? Like there was never a point where it was like, okay, this is Rowan leading the D line counterattack, And like, this is his possession. This is why he's there. No, it was like, they always wanted their, their O line on the field. Did you feel like that was weird? I hear what you're saying, and, and I do think that I jive with it a little bit. I, I will say two things. One, I think you're underrating maybe Rowan's just skill as a coverage defender. I absolutely hear you. You want them sure. him out there quarterbacking off of a turn. That's kind of maybe why you're leveraging him on that line in the first place. But two, I mean, look at the rest of the, the schematic for that DC Breeze counterattack, right? I mean, AJ Merriman, David Bloodgood, even David Cranston, these are guys who are aggressive with the disc. And I just For think sure. that they like to engage in that fast break right off of turnovers so quickly that Daryl has sort of aged into a wisdom per se of when there's a, a possession that they need to score in the goal, they're going to sub on the offense. And I think that for as good as Rowan is, the DC Breeze offense acquitted itself again and again as being very capable in those positions. I mean, you look at the new additions with Edmonds and with Aroy, they of course just fit in so fluidly to that weave heavy DC Breeze attack. And then of course, yeah. I thought the two best players for their offense all night, Johnny Malks had kind of an up and down night. He had a good defensive play at the end of the game. He had a couple of nice hucks, but also a, a few turnovers that I think both you and I raised our eyebrows a little bit at. But you yeah. know, that, that's kind of been his style. You know, he, he takes risks. He's the risk taker on that offense that is otherwise just efficiency uh, stat heads everywhere else in their lineup. I mean, Jeremy Knopf was in there uh, last night uh, playing yep. his super effective brand of Ultimate. one turnover in the 2022 season. He was he was just churning in the lane. But I, I wanted to get back to um, Edmonds, of course, had a terrific debut downfield, but the tandem of Tyler Monroe and Christian Boxley was just phenomenal. They can do everything for this Breeze yeah. offense. And they do this thing. I, I was trying to think about how to conceptualize how they work because they're not, strictly speaking, highlight players, especially Monroe. No. He, is, he just works in the margins, and, and he's, such, he's such a grinder, and he's so hard to stay in front of. And it's just tough to deal with his size and pace. Boxley can make highlights. Obviously, he had a couple on Saturday night. He had a great jump swat. He had a couple great defensive plays, actually. He had a couple great uh, hustle plays up line. But he is just so good with his timing and so fast and has such a high field IQ that he makes so much of the game look easy. Anyways, I was trying to conceptualize how they play together. And it's like their lock picks who go around the field and just figure out every little defensive formation and how they can beat it. And at the beginning of the game, it might feel like a little slow, like they're figuring things out. And then there's a point where it just kind of clicks and they're just starting to rack up scores. And you could see that with Monroe and Boxley. It was like, once they sort of sussed out what the Flyers coverage was trying to do, you could just see them starting to attack a little bit more. Um, Brian Jones yeah. last night in the commentary was talking about how DC kind of has this spring loaded effect. Those sort of, lull you into these longer drives and then all of a sudden it's a quick release into the end zone for Edmonds it's an upline cut for Boxley it's right, it's a right. cut from the handler sets like I, I feel like that's so much is facilitated by Monroe and Boxley just just 
being open. Just just yeah. going well, around, I think figuring out what spots they can get to, getting into rhythm, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, dang, they're they're up over 20 touches a piece and we haven't figured out how to slow that down yet. And now it's the the crunch time of the game and they're just leaning on those guys. And as you saw the Breeze did, they just closed out on the Flyers. Um, yeah. And, and I, I've taken up too much wind, and so I want to maybe give it to you to talk about how the Flyers looked good for all their new pieces and all this versatility and all this lineup adjustment. But particularly in that final stretch in the fourth quarter, it didn't feel like they had developed enough of a game plan and consistency to deal with the breeze. Yeah, the the Flyers approach, I don't want to call their approach. The Flyers were weird as well as DC. I don't I don't want to call their approach weird necessarily. Maybe bad. a little a little they less tied the game at 15s and they made all I know, I know, I know, I know. It was a little the Jim halftime buzzer beater off of the William Coffin <laughs> Mac was one of the crazier plays. I I think Carolina, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm curious. The fact that they didn't have Eric Taylor, they didn't have Matt Guccio-Hannes, like, I don't Guccio know Hannes. if this was... Guccio-Hannes, like, in neon lights was, like, the absence for the game. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And you saw it from the very beginning. And, yeah, they're trotting out guys that are, like, traditional D-line players on offense. And, obviously, like, they need someone to fill that role. But I don't know if this, like, team-wide approach to just, like, having pretty fluid O and D lines, if that's something they're going to run with all season, or if it was something they particularly thought of for this opening game, given their personnel. And like you said, I like seeing the versatility of guys like Madaraju and Ethan Bloodworth and, and Connor Russell, like everyone kind of had their moments on the O line, but yeah, there was just no consistent stability for the most part. There was like, yeah, kind of a team wide energy that got them to tie the game up at 15s. But yeah, you never felt like they could throw out seven guys on that line and you're like, okay, these guys are hot. Like they, these seven are clicking and we trust them to punch in a score. Like, I don't think I felt that ever in that game with Carolina, yeah. which is weird considering how they've been the past several seasons. So I'm really curious to see like where this approach takes them going forward. And yeah, like you said, getting Gujo Hannes back, hopefully they can get him back soon because that was... A very, a very clear missing piece to that offense because it sets up everything else. Like him and Yannick, like they are absolutely the backbone of the offense, and it shows. When you're getting that free reset, when you can mobilize your attack to any position on the field, as Carolina has done now for several seasons with Gucho Hannes and Yannick anchoring that backfield, and you, you were right. You see, with his absence, the Flyers just look different from how they normally look, and it's not to say that. They don't have the talent to cover up some of their losses. I mean, they were in this game in the right, fourth quarter right. to their credit, right? But yeah, I think you're right. There was just, there was something missing. It was like the difference between going out for tapas, which is like the Flyers. You know, you get a little sample here. You get you get this connection. Ooh, Ethan Bloodworth throwing a midfield hammer that's continuation in the offensive sure. set. You've got Andrews yeah. Young staring it out to Madaraju downfield. That's a new look. But it, it's not it's not a full meal, and it's like the Breeze attack just felt like an entree. It felt like they were setting yeah. up this system from the first quarter, and then when they needed to just execute to close out, they could. All of those closing goals in the back half of the fourth quarter, for better or worse, looked easy for the Breeze. They were not sweating those possessions, and I think that had to do with just 
rolling in with their attack. And it My... makes me feel like, well, DC, like their their conversion rate for the game wasn't great. They converted fifty seven percent of their offensive possessions, but. But like you can see that this is there's like clear building blocks in place for them to up that efficiency throughout the season, just as these guys get more and more comfortable with each other. Whereas with Carolina, like I don't I don't see a path to suddenly becoming a super efficient offense unless they kind of get back to where they were last year and the year before. So here's my weird question for the game. Do you think that there is the possibility that the Flyers skunked their rotations a little bit in this matchup? That they were maybe kind of play testing a certain bit? That they were. It, it just it reminds me so much of the 2021 first game of the season when they went and played Atlanta and they played a bunch of players out of their normal positions in that game. And it was the first game of the series. It was super close against their basically border rivals in the hustle. And they ended up losing almost at the buzzer of regulation and it just was that game in overtime it might have gone to overtime no it was but, it was overtime yeah but it it that version of the flyers was not the same one that the hustle would face later in the season and i i'm blanking right now i don't think the flyers in dc face off again but i'm just wondering if that was even just to kind of get everyone playing time get everyone into every role and just sort of say like, hey, this is a really good component or opponent. We ran with them for four quarters and we're not even set yet. Like this is something that we build off of. They need to prepare for our final form now. Like do you do you think there's a possibility for that? I, I don't know if there's that yeah. much <laughs> metal level gamesmanship. I mean individual wins are so important. We talk yeah. all the time about how interdivisional games are like one point X or one point five X, excuse me importance right, on the right. schedule but i think i think you could you could view it that way but i don't think it was necessarily intentional they do play dc again this year that's why like it is it is like extra notable for them to do it in a dc game because like yeah their schedule i mean it's two dc games four atlanta games two austin games every game is gonna matter and we know how tight this south division playoff race is gonna be just because Austin's just going to be beating up on Texas teams, presumably most of the season. So I don't know. I mean, I do think doing this in week one is kind of a nice way to see like, okay, what do we have in Joe White? What do we have in Ben Snell? Like what happens when we put Elijah Long on offense and like how, how can he do kind of commandeering that backfield? But I, I don't think this is like a, what they did in this game cannot be a long-term solution for the season, but hopefully it did reveal some things in the pieces that they had. So I think that w- that would be like the optimistic way to look at it. I- I'm just I- I'm just putting it out there. I think sure it would be very hard to scout the Flyers off of this film. As we said, it didn't look like I any agree. version of them that we've seen before. It did not. It look was a like weird team. Carolina team, and so. Maybe a little I will say, bit. oh, one other one other new addition. Matt Tucker playing defense was phenomenal. Oh yeah. He was like their he, most he consistent a, player all night. He did exactly what he did for the Radicals <laughs> in like the first quarter of the game when uh right. Carolina fell behind 3-0 in the first few points. It was a Tucker block right near the goal yeah. line that got the Flyers their first great. break of the season. It was just it, I was screaming Matt Tucker in my apartment, <laughs> probably to my neighbor's concern. No idea. Uh, we should move on. We've got so many other games to talk about. I know we could sit 
talk about game of the week so much more. We'll we'll definitely delve more into this matchup as we get into the week. But there were three big home wins for favored home teams from this past weekend. As I mentioned before, Salt Lake taking care of business on Friday night, 28 to 20 in their home opener against the Cascades. This is the debut of Grant Lindsley with the shred. He looks like he is going to fit in just fine with that team. He was 14 of 15, over 300 total yards, six total scores. And just, he, he, he had one quasi practice months ago with the team. I think as kind last of last year. Oh, it was, it was last year. He practiced with the team once. He has not practiced with them like this preseason with this yeah, iteration he just of the roster. Stepped onto the field, had his headband rocking and just was processing ultimate faster than anyone else on the field, which is what Grant Lindsay does. He simply operates at a speed that exceeds everyone else around him. And the result is that he makes everything look easy. Everything is in rhythm. You, you see him with the disc. It's these little, you know, hezzy upline continuations. I, I want to stop and talk about that one for a second. That, that, <laughs> the throw to that Kerr. Juke, that juke and then the just floaty, pillowy pass to Kerr so sprinting nice. up line. It, that's one of those plays that is just a win condition. And not many teams have people who can do that. And now the shred kind of have two in Grant Lindsley and Jordan Kerr. And it just, you could see it on Friday night. It just, their ceiling gets bumped up to here, right? When he's on the field. And and yep. with that, that quick twitch assist, he does things in such a way and so quickly that the people around him, unless you are on the same page with him, are simply playing a different game. Like when his defender got hit with that shimmy, Grant releases the throw and it's an assist. That defender is still locked in on Grant like he's defending him. Points right. over, bro. Like it's, it's the it's subtlest shimmy. Yeah. Like Grant it happens too fast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's... we spent enough on. Oh, no. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Okay, well, let's. Yeah. Preference. I, preference I wanted to get because there was too. a couple other great, important uh, performances in that Friday night game, particularly from the shred backfield of Sean Canole, Jacob Miller, and Luke Jorgensen. Uh, mm-hmm. I just thought all three of them had a visible degree of improvement over the offseason. They look more aggressive as a unit. They look more precise. They had an insistence against the Seattle defense from the start. Canole was just uncorking bombs all He's night. He's got a cannon. That thin air, and when he gets that backhand wound up, it that is That backhand is nuts. Out. It's a whip. He just, yeah. It's so it's and so aesthetically pleasing to watch too. Like I I love when it happens. As good as he was, and, and like as highlight prone as his plays were, I was equally impressed with Miller and Luke Jorgensen. Their ability to reset and their activity with their legs. I mean, Salt Lake had free movement all game long, and I know the Skates defense isn't super elite. And I know this is exactly how the shred presented at the beginning of season last year when they just simply had better conditioning and ran out teams in that first month of play in 2022. They're looking the same yeah. way this year. But man, Luke Jorgensen, he's just got a nice game. He breaks the mark with ease. He he kind of is a West Coast Andrew Roy a little bit in that it's just impossible to not to knock him off of his rhythm and not sort of let him distribute in the ways that he wants to. And when he's mm-hmm. doing that, you just see how everything else falls into place for the shred team. 
I think he he also looked a little bit more aggressive this year. Like I think he was taking a few more shots towards mm-hmm. the end zone. And like he had a, a huck in I think the first half, maybe the first quarter. Um, that whole O line, like the, one of my bigger takeaways from Week One, is like you said, like this ceiling is has definitely been elevated. And it's guys like that. It's the it's the Jorgensen, Canole, Jacob Miller, but also like Jace Dunabile had a, a great okay. game out of nowhere. Like they. Uh, Elijah Jaime also slotted in seamlessly yeah, I, to the I would, offense. Like they I was just slowly have... realizing I left off Jaime, all business, yeah. no smiles, scoring five goals, 240 <laughs> yards, and it just feels like he's going to very casually stats onto every single game this season. Just feels like clock right. five goals plus 200 yards for Jaime every single game. I just feel like they're they're clearly leveled up from the Jordan Kerr centric offense we saw last year. And Will Selfridge, like he wasn't even a like he he split his time a little bit on O line and D line. Obviously, like a spark plug wherever you put him. He was like this close to Callahan at one point. Yeah, he had that huge breakaway goal as well. Like they they're just looking a lot deeper as far as like their offensive talent goes. And then their D line was like mostly fine. Like it it was kind of the same thing that we saw last year, even with like the amount of turnover that they had in their starting rotation. So I I think Salt Lake is, they're looking great so far. Obviously again, this, we got to pump the brakes a little bit because it was a Seattle game, but still good to see for shred fans, shred heads, excuse me. 60 goals now in their last two games at home against Seattle for the shred. Just <laughs> pretty good. Lighting it up in that Zion Stadium. Uh, yeah. Moving on, the defending champions played in a gale force wind, rainstorm, tempest. It was just a mess. <laughs> not fun. Really for the yucky. And then especially as you're trying to do a trophy presentation at halftime. <laughs> right. But, Empire at least rewarded the faithful with a dominating win at home. They jumped out to an 8-1 lead over Philadelphia at the end of the first quarter, really epitomized by the final play, which was Philly receiving the pull, pull, I think, with under 10 seconds left in the quarter, just looking for the first simple pass, and they turf it. They have a three-on-two advantage off of the turn on the short field. Ben Katz picks up the disc and just lofts it to Jack Williams in triple coverage. And of course, Jack comes down with it. Like, of course, of course. So they go seven goals at the end of the first frame. And it's just sort of done from that point. You can, you can just see (laughs) that the empire defense is still at its championship level. They can run two lines of full starters and take your legs away from you by halftime against basically any opponent. And that's kind of what they did against Philly. They just snuffed them out at the point of attack. The weather didn't allow the Phoenix to get into the deep game that they like to employ on offense so much, and they simply didn't have an alternative route. The handler defenders for the Empire and John Randolph, Marcus Brownlee, the new addition of Brett and Tan, were just fantastic all night. I mean, I want to give you the stat pull kind of of this episode and what Tan did to one of the best (laughs) players on Philly. So, yeah, Sean Mott drew the Brett and Tan matchup for most of that game. Mott finished with only nine completions on the day. He was nine of 10. He he also scored a goal. So I guess that's 11 total touches. His fewest touches since 2017, he had a weird game against DC where he only had uh, four completions. All of them went for assists. Um, but yeah, fewest completions in a game in, what is that? Six years, six years. for Sean Mott. And, like, obviously part of it 
is the weather, but like you want your best player touching the disc as much as possible, generally in these conditions. So the fact that Tan was able to shut him down like he did and really just gave the Philly offense no outlets for consistent disc movement, like that was obviously huge. I mean, and it goes beyond the personnel, right? This Empire team is loaded with playmakers. It's it's now gotten to the point where I'm just watching how they exchange stuff and their communication is just yeah. silly good at this point. I mean, Ben Yacht very polished free safety the entire time on the back end. And I think there's this notion that it's easier to just exchange and always just have the big guy taking whoever goes deep. It's not that easy when the field is 40 yards wide to just take whoever is going for the deep cut. And yet, Yacht just kind of put a canopy over anything Philly was trying to do. Even when they were trying bailout hucks, trying to play field position at certain points in the game, there was just no nothing doing for them. They completed a couple hucks. Yeah. They got they got a look here or there, but by and large, it was just clamp city for the Empire. I mean, it, it's, it's game to be scary. I think teams need to start <laughs> being scared of this defense. They've got too many shutdown yeah. players. We talk all well, the time about offense i'm really starting to wonder if the the real <laughs> power of this new york team is from their d lines right i mean the i was gonna say their d line outconverted their o line 50 percent to 40 percent a couple times last year there was a few games yeah. last year where they did that i mean john randolph had what four assists like he looks great but it, it's like the the variety of directions they can go with the disc after turnovers and and the fact that they're converting that quickly and efficiently i don't know how anyone deals with it i mean philly is definitely going to be in trouble if they like don't have a, a plan b when like the weather is bad and they can't really hit their deep game and get that going but at the same time i i view this as like yeah, New York looks as scary as ever heading into this season. Speaking of as scary as ever, the other big win from this past weekend was the Atlanta Hustle outmatching Indianapolis 23-14. to 14. Th- These two teams met in the final game of the regular one. season. Indy played well in that game. They stuck close. I think the Hustle still had like a wire-to-wire win in 2022. But Indy acquitted themselves in this matchup. This was lights mm-hmm. out from the hustle from get-go. They just looked yep. better. Like, there was just an affect to the way that they started playing this game where it was, oh, it's good Atlanta tonight. Like, they're they're definitely one of yep. those teams, I feel like, within the first five points, you can tell exactly what kind of game they're going to have. Like, For sure. Are the deep For balls sure. connecting? Is everyone just running? Is it, like, four <laughs> verticals downfield? Right. Oh, okay. Like we're in for it tonight. I mean, that's Draco- still that's still why it's so weird that they lost to New York in the 2021 playoff game because that was like one of their good Atlanta games. But then it was yeah. just like a slow <laughs> New York comeback. But no, I totally I mean, get what you're saying. Yeah. 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 And, and, they were yeah, they 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 were going deep to Eckwurzel in that playoff game. Anyways, they landed the same thing to Indy. They can also just big boy teams at this point. Like they have so many big players and they challenge you to make plays one-on-one versus versus them in space and it's just it's challenging it's challenging to match up with also one versus one across the board they're going to be one of the best teams throughout this entire season the big question about Atlanta is can they sort of win the big games can they get playoff wins can they get like a home playoff game and not always kind of have to play just a little bit behind some of their closer rivals. Because when they have games like this, it's like, 
I still expect Indy to be pretty good. Like I, yeah, I, Indy doesn't lose by nine goals very often. Like they, they, <laughs> right. they had a three win season in 2021. They made the playoffs last year, but you know, when they suffer losses, they're usually pretty close. This, yeah. this was, this is over. I mean, this time. was Atlanta. Atlanta had seven turnovers uh, on the day. And they that's were, like, were, I'm pretty sure. I think last year, weren't they? Sorry. I, I think they they were definitely up there. I'm pretty sure they have the single game record, like in AUDL history of fewest turnovers a game. They had a or fewest turnovers in a specific game. I think they had like a six turnover game against Pittsburgh two years ago, maybe. Uh, yeah, but like seven yeah. turnovers, that number always rings a bell because that was what Carolina did in the 2021 championship game, and a couple of those turnovers were just like you know throwaway end of quarter ones. Um, so yeah, if a team is turn if a team is turning it over like anywhere less than ten times per game, like they're just, they're gonna win. So like there really wasn't much Indy could do in this one. I am curious though, like in your mind, does this change your opinion? This result in particular, does it at all change your opinion on either Atlanta or Indy coming into the season? Um, or not really? It's hard to not put weight. Really. On it, it's I weird. Like. I I think if you would have asked me that before, if you told me this result four days ago, I think it would have said yes. I yeah. think it, it would have elevated Indy and it also would have, or sorry, would have elevated Atlanta and also dropped Indy. Yeah. I, I just kind of feel like this is, this is a week one interdivisional, right. like Atlanta's just so athletic and motivated after missing the playoffs last year. I don't quite chalk it up to Indy, but I need to go and watch it a little bit closer. I need to kind of dive into that game still. Yeah. Um, First takeaway is just Atlanta looks dominant at times, which is what I would like to see for them. I, I like right. teams who I consider to be kind of in the top eight take care of opponents who they should take care of. Right. And I think it's a it's a good sign for Atlanta that right off the bat, they had one of their good Atlanta games, right? It kind of like sets the tone for the whole season going forward. And you you can see the ceiling apparent like immediately, which is good. Well, those were the blowouts. Let's talk about the crazy finishes. Let's start in the central with Pittsburgh's walk-off winner at Highmark Stadium. Just a huge Man. celebration at the end of that one. Pittsburgh went out to a huge lead to start that game. They almost doubled up Madison at the end of the first half. I think it was like 8-4 or something, 9-4 at that point. They got out was to really? a crazy wow. start. And then Madison did what they historically do against their interdivisional opponents. They just ratchet back into evens and slowly retake the lead. And that's what happened in the second half. Radicals got a little bit of a trading advantage, started to hold that one goal lead where Pittsburgh kept having to kind of catch up to them. And then sort of in a complete reversal in all of the cosmic energy that has been happening in this division for years and has slowly been you know, uh, uh, shifting away from the radicals these past several seasons, the breaks yeah. that traditionally go in Madison's favor did not at the end of this game. And that culminated in Pittsburgh finding their star, Max Shepard, in the end zone with the game winner, winning 18 to 17. I think that this confirms what I've been thinking about and maybe too quietly the past few weeks, which is that, I think the T-Birds can hang in the playoff race. I think that their starting rotations have enough playmakers for them to stay in a lot of games, especially in a scoring capacity. 
And I think that their defense is more committed than it has been the past two seasons. I think that Alex Thomas's return is way, way bigger than any kind of statistical output that he's necessarily going to put out there. I think just having him as kind of a locker room presence is going to boost that whole unit a lot. Mm -hmm. One thing that we don't talk about is that they were missing their team captain, Sam Van Dusen, for a lot of last year. You know, there, there are pieces to like on this Thunderbirds team. And so I think that just reminds, this reminded me of that. And more importantly, I think it reminds me that they can win close games. I think that that is something that the Thunderbirds have not been good at the past two seasons. You know, you think back to this matchup last year, Madison won at the buzzer, basically coming from behind and snatching uh, victory from the claws of defeat. And and now it's the Thunderbirds repaying them almost one year later exactly. Um, (laughs) Again, it's both an elevation of the Thunderbirds and I think a reminder that like, Madison's different, dog. Like, they're not 2018 anymore. All of this talk about the revamped offense and they're going to come back. <laughs> We're again at a, a low-scoring Central Division game where they can't muster yep. 18 points. This has become what the Radicals' scoring capacity is, right? Like, we've seen this yeah. story. This, this right. is they love They love the under, under 40 total points is like every oh, single God. Radicals game. I'm not a betting man, but man, I'd be smashing that. Like, and yeah, you know, it, it, it's that thing of it's how Madison wants to play. They want to keep the score yeah. low. They want to suppress as much as possible and win on all of the margins. But I think it's it's starting to come back on them because they aren't winning these close games. You look at this game. You look at the indie game to close out last year when Cameron Brock yeah. gets that goal at the buzzer beater to get the tiebreaker and Indy advances to the playoffs. You look at results from the prior season, uh, the the start to the 2021 season for the Radicals, where they had the the craziness at the end of regulation, whether the refs made the right call or not. That's, that's neither here or there. The outcome was that Minnesota tied the game at the very end of the game. And then the Radicals had no juice going into overtime and the windshield just kind of walked out of there with a win. And it's yeah. just, it's one of those things where Madison won so many games pulling out these victories at the end and it feels like cosmic karma's hand or something just coming to collect after all these years. They just, they they seemingly can't catch a break. And what's I think especially heart-wrenching is that it looks so much like Madison of old, right? Like they fall behind early. Yeah. We're off on offense. And then they, they, they grind back and they make it into a game. And then it's supposed to be, ah, the radicals win by one. And it's like, nope. Not anymore. Not now. Not the last few years in this division. Yeah. It's it's hard because it's like they kind of choked away the game in, in a lot of ways. They had the disc with like a minute and a half left mm-hmm. up by one. And then they forced that one to the end zone that Shepard actually blocked. Then Pittsburgh drove down, scored. Then Madison very early turned the disc over on a reset. And then eventually Shepard came down with the game winner, which by the way, the, the broadcast footage, like the top 50 cam just gets on like the very edge, but you can see him calling for the disc. Like he just like puts, he puts the finger up when Mast has it. Um, and, to be yeah. fair, to be fair, 
Shep does that like twenty times a game. Regardless. Sure, like, sure. That as dude, as he that should. Dude is the number one, like <laughs> hand up. I'm open. Like <laughs> as as he should, especially up. in those situations. Yeah, I don't know if there was any doubt of like who was gonna get the shot of the game winner. Um, but still, it's like it's like a kind reminder that Max Shepard is he's like he's the guy that's shined the most consistently in the All Star games over any other player. Like he is still fully capable of taking over a game. He had what five assists and five goals in that Madison game to start the season. Um, he looked motivated. So he I I kind of feel like I feel like if Shepard might have a, a dark horse MVP campaign potential. I mean, he was runner up in 2019. We all saw the second half of that season after he lit yeah. the All Star game on fire. It, it feels a little bit right. Like that. Well, and and that was well that was also a year. Game. That was also a year where the Central Division was kind of weak, and Pittsburgh was just able to rise to almost the top of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, in my mind, it's been like, this is, this is Indy's division in a way because they have the most consistency coming into this year. So many question marks with the other teams, but you might be right. Pittsburgh might be right up there. It's still a little early for me to say that like they could be in this playoff race. I need to see a little bit more to me. It was more of like, a okay. Yeah. Madison is in trouble with the loss of KPS, uh, there. Yeah. I, I just don't, I don't see Madison making the playoffs this year even more. Now, even though I, I know neither of us picked them to make it in our preseason picks, let, but, let, let's yeah, let, we can save that for just a second. I want I wanted to get to the West Coast game, and then I wanted to get we can we can do quick reactions because sure, I, sure. I, I think that that's important. So let's just touch on the West Division uh, nail biter thriller finish between the Oakland Spiders and the Seattle Cascades. First overtime game of the 2023 season. Total barn burner. Our West Division. 40-plus turnover, just airing it out in oh, every yeah. direction for both teams. Gotta love them. Super fun. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> that was a crazy fun game. Seattle's offense seemed to simplify a little bit. Uh, they shifted Khalif El-Salam over from his role on O-line on Friday night against Salt Lake. He played really well in that role, had a Callahan, but it felt like Seattle's offense was ball-stopping around him. It felt at times like the younger Cascades players were just kind of standing around and waiting for Khalif to make the play. Whereas on Saturday against the Spiders, they shifted him to uh, defense and it just made the Seattle offense, the Garrett Martin and Zeppelin Ronig show. That's and a that fun worked duo. Out Man. Really, really well. Ronig looks, looks really impressive in his second season. He looks like he's yeah. added a gear. He is just out striding people in space and looks like a problem in one-on-one coverage. Uh, and Martin finished the weekend with 10 assists, has n- nominally been a defensive starter the past two seasons in this league, but he's been playing offense in club. It looks like that's starting to translate into his time now at the Cascades. He had some really impressive throws. Seattle put up a really impressive one of their kind of uh, 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 Rufio-esque sort of island uh, of misfits sort of like break chain, like... <laughs> Nothing's quite going right, but it's all energy and we're making plays and sticking in it. Just just cascade specials, man. Yeah. Like I don't know how to describe that energy that, that they have, but it's chaotic. And sometimes it leads to things like this where they're just they're clawing back into games. But mm-hmm. 
Spiders had one of their most balanced performances I've seen from them in several seasons. They have this amount of throwers that they haven't had since basically their championship rosters of 2014 and 2015. And you saw it most pronouncedly in the 2023 debut for Mac Hecht for the Spiders, who went off nine assists, 65 completions, 570-some throwing yards, the game-winning assist, and just looking like the QB1 of QB1s. He looks right now at the start of the season like the second-best thrower in the division behind Jonathan Nethercutt. Not going to lie. Like, he is just that natural of a thrower. He's got that combination of just confidence, throwing range, and precision that is so, so hard to find. And he's a grinder. If you need him to just sit in the reset and get open for a bit, he'll Mm -hmm. go do that. That's why he had 60-plus touches. He's not just some striker downfield looking to finish the drive. Like, he is looking to end things. And that's what he did in that game. You know, he just... He, he carried them through the end of that game. And, and you know, the Spiders still have a lot of the same problems that they've had in the past. They have questionable turnover times. There's 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 a lot of energy, right, with that team. And sometimes it's, <laughs> it's a little so unbridled. Young. Sometimes it gets a little up there, right? Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> why, that's, why, to... that's why all the Spiders-Cascades games are, like, really enticing, exciting matchups. Like, these are just two... Oh, yeah. like, Teams that are, are full of energy are full are like they ride momentum like more I guess more often and, and like more reliantly than other teams in the West Division, um, which is cool and like you it's a, it's another thing where like you see what the ceiling is especially with guys like Hacked and uh, uh, Frankenberg had a great game too like they oh, clearly man. have a lot of throwers that are elevating the overall ceiling of this line. But consistency is going to be the same question we'll always have with them, right? Yeah. I I know we're getting up a little bit past what we wanted to do for this episode, but Walker Frankenberg, man, that is a rookie (laughs) to pay attention to. He was so impressive. Didn't have it. He looked very good. Turnover on the night, excuse me. And was oftentimes their primary mover of the disc. I mean, Mag Sig, Keenan Lawrence had a great game. uh, Hecht, obviously. But they were turning to Frankenberg. And I was talking with somebody Hecht was clearly the best performer in this game, but in like a 20 yard by 20 yard box, Frankenberg was a nightmare. Those Cascades players did not want to deal with his give and go stuff in the latter part of that game. I mean, all he does is just these little stunt five yard cuts and just kind of like triangulating around the reset and Mm -hmm. always staying in front of his defender, always in motion. And he felt like a, a Keenan Lawrence disciple and that when he would just score like a simple clap catch after give and go he is fired up like he is about that eight legs one heart seven legs one heart whatever it is it's eight, eight legs they should change it to seven they should change it to seven there's seven players it'll be like it's an injured uh, spider or something it's overcoming it's not something. a spider anymore eight legs, one heart. uh oh, yeah. com- completions wise though do you notice they had like 350 completions in that or 350 throw attempts in that game like that, that style, I know, I know, but like that style you're talking about, like, like Frankenberg fits right into to what they want to do and, and what they oh, do yeah. well. And it, it kind of makes sense that they, they have sort of this new, uh, potentially more spread out, uh, throwing options that they have in, that they've had in years past, even if like the majority of the time they want to run through hacked, just like have, like having Chris Long is like a, just like a cutter with throws now. Like, that's a great role for him, too. He, he had, so good. He had, what, six goals he so in that good game? Moving up, 
Magsig too, both Long and Mag- Magsig look a lot more dynamic downfield as receivers. Yeah. I-, I think that they had that skill last year, but they were just using him so much better in those spaces. And man, their offense just in general looks nice. Like it- it's it's got a nice look. <laughs> like yeah. they- they're-, they're starting to get something there. I-, I feel like at the beginning of last year, there was a lot of questions as to how this stuff would settle out with some of their departures from the season prior, with Justin Norton being one of the only kind of uh, known throwers. Obviously, Evan Magsig had a good year last year, but this year, he just looks evolved. He just yeah. looks like everything just came together a little bit more, and he's one of those players that he's always kind of been a little bit at the margins, but once you kind of get that that eureka moment, you can just see it. Like, he's he's playmaking out there. He's he's dictating, and I think that that's so cool. And they've got they've got a couple guys who can do that. Yeah, I'm excited to see them going forward. I, I do have some concerns over like their roster consistency and just availability of guys. Totally. I feel like they've maybe maybe struggled with injuries or availability in the past, but like if they can field this lineup of guys every single week, yeah, I think they can just continue building around that. And yeah, I think their ceiling is as high as anyone right now. I mean, the flip side is it took overtime Mac Hecht turning into the best thrower in the league. <laughs> sure. And it was also against Seattle line goal line in the second, second game of a back-to-back. To... Yeah, exactly. I was going to so say we, against So we can always Seattle pump the brakes, <laughs> but hey, it's it's the overreaction. It's the week one overreaction I, yeah, episode. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. We, we can stand by it. It was just the flip side. It was just, I, yeah, I've yeah, always yeah. got to, you know, douse <laughs> sure. a little bit of positivity with some skepticism. But we'll yeah. finish on this. So with Oakland's win, with Pittsburgh's win over Madison, do these wins, and kind of connecting back to what you were asking about with Atlanta and Indy, do Mm -hmm. these wins change anything about how you see the playoff races unfolding in these divisions? Because I think for me, I I view Oakland kind of where I've been trending them, where I I think that they're going to be in this playoff picture pretty predominantly in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And, And I think elsewhere, it's like Atlanta looks really good. Indy, I'm still a little hesitant on Madison. I'm I'm a little bit selling on in Pittsburgh. I'm starting to buy more. You know, where are you at? I think with Oakland, I'm not ready to call them like a playoff contender, but I am more confident in their ability to like mess with the playoff picture out West. Like no game going to Oakland, I think it's going to be a gimme this year. And it was already like trending that way in what we saw from last year's team. So this definitely looks like a better Spiders team even though, yes, it, it was the Cascades, second day of a back-to-back, whatever. Don't want to put too much weight on it, but they will, like, make some noise in the West. I just don't think they're going to make, like, enough noise to really uh, cement themselves as a playoff contender. With uh, Pittsburgh, I, yeah, I think, like I was saying before, they, I'm still hesitant to call them, like, a team that I see in the playoff picture, but they're definitely, how do I want to put it? I think... They they're just they're closing the gap right between them and Madison. I think whereas before I would say like there was a top three in Indy, Chicago, Minnesota, and then like maybe like three point five, like just outside the three spot was Madison. Now I'm almost like wanting to switch Madison and Pittsburgh, where I'd be like Madison is is probably a good amount uh, lower than those top three spots, and Pittsburgh I think is probably going to contend a little bit more there. Yeah, I think I got to agree with you across the board. I I just see a little bit of the shift in the central about who might be a little bit more contender. But it's so early. Like we can't we can't really come to these conclusions right now, right? 
Oh, like it seems no, wrong to like we can't totally discredit Madison. We've got the total map yeah. for the rest of the 2023 season. We know it. All these teams. We are got the already. script. Figured it out. Yeah, that's right. Figured it out. Well, I guess we just didn't do any more episodes. So that's the end of our show <laughs> forever. That's the end of Swing Pass. We're done. It's um, been a good ride. Yeah. <laughs> that'll be the end of our opening weekend recap episode of swing pass though we thank you for tuning in it was a great week go ahead and check out the audl.com as well as audl social media for highlights check out audl youtube also for those uh we'll be around of course over the next several days chewing into these matchups more and more getting a little bit more into the film talking about who impressed us most from this past weekend thank you as always for tuning in we will be back later this week on thursday i believe for a preview of next week's episode when we will see an even fuller slate as well as the debuts of some of the most notable teams including the week two game of the week which will feature colorado at los angeles that's right we've got big mama bird versus pavel Giannis. also the west (laughs) division champions versus the biggest movers of the 2023 offseason It's going to be bananas. I'm so looking forward to week two already. We've got so many more games to get to in the 2023 calendar. Can't wait to be there with you all all along the way. We'll see you soon. Bye now.